It's Sunday morning. Time for the Great Outdoors with Charlie Potter. Brought to you by the all-new Chevy Silverado and ChevyDriveChicago.com on Chicago's very own 720 WGN. Good morning. Welcome to the Great Outdoors Show. Charlie Potter, your host here on WGN Radio, and thank you for joining me this morning. The Grand Passage is underway. It is actually in full force. That time of the year when when the birds, swans, ducks, geese, everything pours out of the prairies, and it is it's happening right now as I'm talking to you. The weather, as you know, across the Midwest, temperatures have plummeted after really a wonderful week. But it, it's one, to me, it's one of the most exciting, exciting times of the year. It happens once. We get a dribble of a migration, and then we get the massive push. So if this week, this week you have a chance to get out, go do it. If you're on the Mississippi, you'll see canvasbacks by the tens of thousands migrating through you're on Lake Michigan, you'll see shorebirds coming through, you'll see cranes, you'll even see some swans, you'll see a lot of geese. Uh, no matter where you are, birds are on the move, blackbirds by the millions. It's just, and it happens in a very compressed time period. Birds are showing up from, right now from central Illinois to Louisiana being pushed by the, by the big blow. And it's, when the prairies empty out, as you've heard me say many times, it's about 70% of North America's waterfowl are raised on the prairies of the Dakotas and up into Canada, Manitoba, Saskatchewan, Alberta. When they empty out, it clogs up radar screens in Omaha, Nebraska. You get you get literally the radar is just filled with black masses of migrating birds. I happened to be in Utah uh, a few days ago when the ad, the advanced group of migrating snow geese came through, and we stood at nine o'clock in the morning it was cold it was 12 degrees and from as high as you could see in the sky looking north waves and waves and waves of snow geese came headed down towards the great salt lake before they split off and the lot going to texas and the other part going to the central valley of california it's it's just a cool time to be outdoors so grab it this week we've got a, it won't last very long i think by the end of the week the push will the biggest push will be over. So we just had an election. We're all aware of that. Uh, I want to spend a moment talking about what this might mean. The first thing is what still needs to be done by the current Congress before we have a new Congress, a new House and a new Senate. And I know we're not going to know the outcome, at least for the Senate, for for a while. And seems to be the House may be decided, but not by much. But if you think about that Congress has a lot on its plate that it has not executed, that it sort of just punted down the line, if you will, um, before the election. The Theodore Roosevelt Conservation Partnership put out a very good outline of um, what still needs to be done by the 117th Congress. Think about that. The 117th Congress. That, that's quite remarkable that we can say that. Um, so key on the list of things to be done in, in really the next six weeks, the most important thing, I guess, 
if you think about it from a research point of view, is the funding of chronic wasting disease research. Uh, they think the vote could be as early as next week on that. CWD, as we call it, has now pretty much traveled around the country, and it, it's been in existence now in Wisconsin for almost 25 years, Illinois the same. We're, we're learning how to deal with it, but um, we, we still know it's spreading, and as it spreads around the country, it, it, it's creating really big-time problems. And ultimately, if chronic wasting disease, which it has not done, were to jump from animals to humans, and I'm not even suggesting it will, we all know, I think, what would happen to deer hunting, elk hunting, all big game hunting if that happens. So getting chronic wasting disease is really in important. Recovering, America, Recovering America's Wildlife Act is uh, also needs to be funded uh, by Congress. We also have the entire omnibus spending bill for conservation funds in 2023. Um, it is... It's really important that, and I am, you've often heard me say, let's have targeted funding. I don't know what's in the omnibus spending bill. Anything that's omnibus to me sounds ominous. If you let Congress pass ominous bills, they're, I mean, om, ominous bills, they are, uh, they're ominous in many ways. But um, there's a lot to be done in the remaining six weeks of Congress. Uh, but really what I think we're going to look for, and I'm not sure they're going to get much done at all. Uh, but what we're going to look for is what does a new Congress look like? And so before I go to the break, I thought it would be helpful to kind of talk about what generally happens or what I perceive happens when Congress changes. Um, first of all, if we have a change in the House, which it looks like we have, then the Republicans become chairman of all the committees that were chaired by Democrats. And even though the margin might be small, the philosophical differences can be enormous. And the new Congress will be dealing with the upcoming farm bill, which has to be renewed, redone, reauthorized. Ha well, something has to happen in the coming two years. And a Republican Congress, House and Senate, are, are likely to view some things quite differently. I think you're going to see, from the conservation side, I think you're going to see a lot more emphasis on private lands management and a lot less of this uh, emphasis on public lands, access, uh, environmental regulations. I, I think it's very unlikely with a Republican House or a Republican Senate that you're going to see the advancement of the end of steel shot uh, across national wildlife refuge and public lands. Uh, I think that was a high probability under a Democratic-controlled Congress. Uh, Republican Congresses tend to be more in tune with American people in America who hunt and fish. That doesn't mean the Democratic Congresses aren't, but it means the Republicans historically are a little more in tune. And Democratic Congresses tend to be more uh, less focused on outdoor recreation from a consumptive use and more focused on outdoor recreation from a usage use. So hunting and fishing are more important to Republican Congresses than they are historically to Democrats. And access and trails and environmental regulations are typically more important to a Democratic Congress than they are a Republican Congress. So one of the things a lot of people like is gridlock because nothing gets done. Uh, 
I think that we're in a position where probably a lot of nothing gets done. And, and that at, right now, given the, the, what we've been going through in the conservation world, uh, it may be time to pause and just reassess. But the Farm Bill will be the, the single most important piece of legislation that the 118th Congress takes up. And, and, and at the top of that is how are conservation interests going to be met by landowners who are facing ever higher input costs and higher pressures to return more money from, from acreage, and they're facing higher interest rates uh, and maybe not ever increasing commodity prices. So it's, it's something that I think is really important that we look at, can we compensate agriculture for doing really important conservation work and environmental work on their lands. And I I think it's the view of everybody that I talk to that we've got to get our nitrogen loads and our rivers under control. We have, we have an absolutely horrible situation of nitrogen in our waterways. And, and there are two major sources of nitrogen. Humans are one agriculture is the other Uh, agricultural runoff has been as a, is unfortunately just because it's the way things go it's the largest contributor to nitrogen, the hypoxic zone in the Gulf of Mexico. And the new farm bill, I believe, is going to really work hard to create buffers along riparian or river corridors so that we don't have the kind of water runoff into rivers that we currently have and we don't have the kind of soil erosion. But the cost of doing that is going to be a lot higher because landowners today can make more money or get paid more through crop insurance for farming marginal areas than they than they have been able to before. So you all know for listening to me for many, many years, I'm a big fan of agriculture from the point I'm a big fan of agriculture, period, full stop. I'm a bigger fan of recognizing that private landowners, the American farmer, own the land upon which we expect them to not only grow crops, but we and to do good things for the environment. And we can't expect them to do that for nothing. We need to come together with agricultural interests and recognize there's an enormous economic benefit to society of managing our pollutants better, of managing our water better, of managing our agricultural runoff better, and that agriculture, individual landowners, because we're talking about individual people, need to be compensated for doing good for society. And society needs to recognize, I feel very strongly about this, that society needs to recognize that if we want to have good outcomes, we need to work with agriculture to achieve them and not just expect agriculture to do things for which they're not being compensated. And so I I think that the EPA is a big part of this. Uh, Certainly Congress is a huge part. And if Congress can come to grips with the Conservation Reserve Program and, and other programs that reward farmers for doing good things on environmentally sensitive lands, we can, we can have a really good outcome. Whether that can happen, I, I don't know, but I think you're going to see new gavel chairs, people holding the gavel, and committees that are key, and I think their views might be more aligned with that than the regulatory approach uh, that we've seen in recent years. We'll find out, but the Farm Bill is really going to be issue number one, and can we finally come up with really big-scale programs like CRP, that Conservation Reserve Program, that will work with agriculture, individual landowners, so that people can afford to do good things on their land, because after all, they're paying taxes on it, and, and, and they need to use the land 
And if society wants benefits, frankly, society's got to work with agriculture and pay them to get them. When I come back from the break, I'm going to go north of the border and talk quickly about ongoing events in Manitoba, which are not very encouraging. And then I'm going to quick, then I'm going to talk a little bit about what happens in Florida after these hurricanes have gone through. You've heard plenty about what happened in Florida. I'm going to talk about what happens to bonefish and tarpon and estuaries. And if I have time, I'll talk about where I was 40 years ago today on my migration down the Mississippi Flyway. You're listening to Charlie Potter and the Outdoor Voice of Chicago and America, 720 WGN. And now a message from our longtime sponsors, the Northwest Indiana and Chicagoland Chevrolet dealers. When sunrise is your alarm clock, life is different. You eat a ditch for breakfast. Love the smell of diesel in the morning with a hot cup of joe. The weather report is 40% chance of mud. And corporate pull, that's 36,000 pounds of towing capacity with a gooseneck trailer. Mudden is PTO. You know sometimes when the paved road ends, the fun begins. Chevy Silverado 3500 HD is waiting to run over something, anything. No road, no problem, because the best way out is always through. A trouble rides a swift horse, and you don't want trouble pulling a backhoe loader. Chevy Silverado HD is a wake-up call. Now, during Chevy truck season, get a $1,000 accessory allowance toward the purchase of a new truck with accessories. You worked hard for your money. Spend it smart. So see your Chicagoland and Northwest Indiana Chevy dealer today or go to ChevyDriveChicago.com for all the details. Chevy Silverado HD. Power up and experience life in HD. It's Charlie Potter and the Great Outdoors on Chicago's very own 720 WGN. Welcome back to the Great Outdoors show. Charlie Potter, your host here on WGN Radio. What is going on in Manitoba? And I say that because it, it, with a question and an exclamation point, because I don't think anyone really understands. A few weeks ago, I, I mentioned the province of Manitoba was going to severely restrict the ability of American hunters to hunt waterfowl in, in Manitoba, and that that had not been well received, uh, well, virtually universally, except by the outfitters, the professional guides in Manitoba who thought it was terrific because they were going to be given an allotment of licenses, assured licenses. So if you wanted to go hunting in Manitoba and you wanted to be sure you could book a year in advance, you're going to use an outfitter. Otherwise, you're going to go through a drawing. Well, from that discussion, and I do think there's going to be quite a bit of discussion coming, the individuals in Manitoba who are forwarding this are, are many of them I've worked with for a long time. They are good people. They mean well. They're trying to come to an outcome that will be very positive for the Manitobans as well as uh, aliens, as they call us, who visit uh, Manitoba to hunt. They're, they're extremely well-intentioned. The result of what's happening, though, may be very damaging to conservation in Manitoba. Manitoba receives the majority of its funding for conservation from us, Americans, through, the, through federal duck stamp funds that go to Canada for wetland habitat, Manitoba, through the North American Wetlands Conservation Act, which has shipped hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars to Manitoba over the last 30 years to preserve wetlands so that we can have abundant bird populations, and also so that Americans can utilize the resource in Canada. Um, I think we are putting those funding sources, frankly, at peril. I know that Ducks Unlimited is, is quite concerned that Manitoba could be causing a reduction 
uh, as a result of this in conservation funding, a reduction in license sales, and a reduction in, in hunters coming to Manitoba. And as a very wise person said to me the other day, we're mobile. We make airplanes. If you're not welcome in Manitoba, you have to enter some kind of a lottery, and you, you may not know that result till well into the year and you need to make plans, well, you just go to Saskatchewan or Alberta or North Dakota. You'll go somewhere else. So traditions, we learn with COVID. When traditions are broken, they're hard to restart. If you have been hunting in Manitoba or anywhere for a long time or even five years and you look forward to going back next year and you find out, geez, you didn't get lucky, you didn't win a lottery, you don't have a ticket to buy a license, you're going to go somewhere else, and maybe that's somewhere else you decide, oh, I actually like this better, or it's not worth the hassle of going through a lottery. So there is a lot at stake here, and I, I think over the next three months it's going to play out. Uh, hopefully it will result in a, a policy that does address the concerns that Manitobans have about hunter access, the numbers of hunters, but it, it's a long way from today to a, a, a law that is going to be acceptable to the thousands of Americans that have utilized Manitoba on an annual basis, going back as far as anyone can remember. And it also is a long way from recognizing that what Manitoba, what Manitoba doesn't think they're doing, but what they are doing is they are empowering outfitters and, and creating value for outfitters by giving them guaranteed licenses and that that is going to ultimately undermine the ability of people to freelance the country and, and make relationships with farmers as the outfitters have a propensity to lease land and keep people out waiting for their clients to come. Much more there, but I think we it's very important to the future of waterfowl and wildlife management across North America that this Manitoba situation be, be addressed in a way that is positive and can be an example for other states and provinces. Uh, the time remaining, a couple of minutes, hurricanes. Well, Florida's been hit by one, two in the last few weeks. Ian, we all know about the one over the past, this past few days, uh, kind of unexpected and didn't go under the, certainly didn't receive the attention that Ian did, but in a way it can create just as much damage because a lot of the coastline of Florida was already damaged from Ian, so it was susceptible. What happens to fish? Tarpon and bonefish are huge game fish in the Florida Keys, are huge game fish really throughout uh, the west coast of Florida. And then along the east coast, you've got all the runs of fish that uh, you know run up from Palm Beach up through Port Lucie, up to Vero Beach, and, and on north, Port Pierce. Um, when you have a destructive hurricane, we've learned this over the years, it can take years for the habitat, the mangroves, the, uh, the, the water to return to a productive state. You get such a flush of, of not only debris, but you get such a turbulency in the water, so turbulent that you uproot plants. I mean, entire mangroves have been just destroyed. Mangroves are the greatest estuaries that fish have, the most important. Uh, they are the buffer against hurricanes, and of course, Throughout so much of Florida, the mangroves have just been ripped out, and um, there is uh, there's, there's very little left from housing development and, and putting up riprap and all that. So when you have a devastating hurricane like Ian, you are going to experience extremely 
uh, extreme cases of erosion and, and, and water quality issues, storm surges, uh, rivers change channels, creeks fill up with sediment. Uh, it, uh, it's a natural occurrence. And then nature begins to rebuild. This is not something that hasn't happened, obviously. It's been happening for millennia. For the case of tarpon, for the case of bonefish, for the case of permit, this this could change some things. And certainly, you know, the famous pass at Boca Grande, what, what happened with the shifting of the sands for tarpon? Does that mean the tarpon run differently? Nobody knows. We're going to find out. So in the coming year, we're going to learn a lot more, but we do know this much. Fishing in Florida is going to go under a major change because of what happened with Hurricane Ian and the most recent hurricane just hit the East Coast in the last couple of days. Thanks so much for listening. I'll be back next Sunday with much more in the great outdoors. This is Charlie Potter on the Outdoor Voice of Chicago and America, 720 WGN.